You are listening to Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we're going to talk about some Ember newsy things. Newsy things. Yeah. See, I really enjoy talking about newsy things, but uh, I think maybe we're going to diverge a little bit into not so much newsy things, but into practical things today. So uh, I'm a little excited about that, actually. Eh, there's like one practical thing out of all. There's one There's one practical thing. I mean, it could be practical. I mean, it might, it might be actually very unpractical. Very unpractical. Indeed. Indeed. I guess we can uh, get started. But uh, first, let's hear a little word from our sponsor. Hello, I'm Corey. And I'm Matt. Matt and I started our consulting company, 201 Created, five years ago. We've been passionate about Ember and its community since we started and are proud to be able to sponsor Ember Weekend. Our clients have included Fortune 50 companies and Y Combinator startups. If your team needs Ember training or advice or wants to learn how to make open source work for you, visit us at www.201-created.com or follow us on Twitter at 201 T-W-O underscore O-H underscore O-N-E. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right, so the first thing we're going to mention is a thing that just got dropped into the announcements channel today, actually. Um, we're recording on Saturday, you know, the weekend, right? Right? Anyone? Yeah? Is that the name of the thing? Uh, anyways, um, it's by Derek Wickern, and it's basically a, a, a little add-on that you can drop into your application, and it will prettify, ostensibly, your Chrome formatter. So instead of seeing like an object with a bunch of like, you know, Ember properties on it that you may or may not have to use the dot get to actually see the value of, it'll actually like annotate all that stuff. It looks really pretty. I haven't actually gotten a chance to check it out, but the screenshots make it look really interesting. It's something that I'm probably going to pull into Ember Weekend, but I really want to like test it out and see. I, I have some concerns or questions about performance because it likely has to do a lot of introspection to get that information to format it properly. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to check out. I'm, I'm really excited about it, though. It looks really pretty. And I think there's already in the thread uh, on the announcements channel, there's, there's already some talk about bringing this over to Ember, the Ember Inspector, which seems pretty cool. Yeah, and the other interesting thing about this is that even if there is a little bit of a performance issue, which I, I probably wouldn't be because it's a formatter, this doesn't happen in production. Right. Uh, it doesn't get uh, compiled in, so you don't have to worry about it affecting your production builds. Right, which is, I mean, obviously, like I think that's super cool that the build pipeline really does facilitate a lot of cool, uh, cool things that you can have as you know developer ergonomic only tools. So that's pretty neat. But I definitely encourage you guys to check it out. Let us know what you think in your projects and see if it uh, if it helps. I'm really excited to to give it a whirl myself. I've I didn't really know that custom formatters were actually an option. So this is kind of opening my eyes to investigate, you know, other formatters and things. So uh, it's really cool. Definitely good work. Check it out. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think. All right. And the next thing we're going to talk about is uh, a couple changes that happened in the 2.13 release. And it was, uh, it's been a while, uh, like April or something that this was released. But I just kind of became aware of them because I'm doing an upgrade to 2.13 on an app that's much further back. And, uh, and one of them is uh, changes to factory four. So if you've used underscore lookup factory from the container, the what this is for is if you want to get a constructor to create something rather than go get a singleton or the one thing that exists or something, uh, this is what like Ember Data uses under the hood to create an instance of something. And apparently this used to do uh, something really interesting. It used to actually have to first do an extend of that class to add things like injections and various other things, come up with a subclass, and then call create on that. But that meant that there was a subclass that was being created every single time you did factory four. And if you were doing this in like a big loop or something, it was doing it over and over and over again. 
And what they're doing now is they add on those properties in the create rather than doing an extra subclass. So it makes it much more performant. Yeah, which is really cool. So um, I recently did the upgrade to 2.13 on my client project. And there's definitely performance implications. Um, Factory 4 is used a lot, which I I think is cool. And I I can't remember exactly when this was, but I'm pretty sure we had talked about this. This was actually discussed in an RFC a long time ago. And I could have swore we mentioned it on Ember Weekend, but Chase and I both did a search of the RSS feed to see if we had mentioned it and we couldn't find it. So it's good to see that this uh, finally made its way in. Um, I definitely think that it's, you know, obviously it's a performance win, which is really cool. I did notice that there was an add-on or two when I did the upgrade that actually relies on that subclass to exist for certain reasons. And you have to be aware that that was happening. And, you know, it's it's a little bit difficult to diagnose. So it's one of those things where just, you know, take a, take a look and r- maybe read the RFC. We'll link to that as well. So you can, uh, you know, be prepared if you are starting the Ember uh, 213 upgrade and you notice some weird uh, weird things. And the other thing uh, that happened in the uh, 213, 2.14 um, release, which there's a, a nice blog post that we'll link to, is that the private routing service has been deprecated. There's some inf- information there about how to address those deprecations. I think m- most people aren't using like the recognizer and things like that. So it's probably not going to be too uh, too painful. I don't think I ran into any instances where we were using some of those deprecated APIs uh, in my client app uh, at the moment. But uh, yeah, and I think, Chase, you were talking earlier in 2.15, behind a feature flag is the new routing service. Is that is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's mentioned in the, I think in the blog post about this, that 2.15, which is Canary right now, has the actual implementation of this. And so basically, once you get to 2.15, and once 2.15 is released or in beta and you're using it, um, you need to remove this polyfill and use the that implementation. Right, yeah, yeah. So the yeah the, the Ember router service polyfill, um, which I think I think that was released like six days ago or something. <laughs> yeah, it was not. It was not that long ago. Um, it was very recent. But yeah, I, I think this is a- addressing a lot of concerns. I know we we had talked. This is actually really a weird thing that I remember. I don't know why, but remember when we did the Ember two training in Chicago with Eric Brin? Like, it had to have been like two years ago now. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Well, he was the one who told me about the routing service then. Oh yeah, and there's been like three different implementations of, of <laughs> yeah. the routing polyfill, like kind of like the same exact interface, like the at least the inject Ember, you know, mm-hmm. service, right? That part of it looks exactly the same. You end up getting the the router just like that exists when you do, you know, get owner lookup and then you know router colon main or whatever. You get the exact same thing. Um, so they have pretty similar interfaces. Yeah, which which is cool. I think this is finally at a point where. You know everything's been aligned, and it's I don't know it's it's gonna it's it's gonna be really nice to finally have like a really finalized you know solid interface to deal with the router. I know I, I think you and I have been using it on and off in components for a while, but it's nice to have this be part of like an official kind of thing. One of the things I think every app that I've been on ends up using this for is having like a nav bar that needs to like know what route is currently active, where maybe those aren't the actual links. Like so, so you know, you link two has some special tie-ins with the routing service, the internal one, so that it can get like an active state. But if you want to like do that in a different way, you end up needing this. Or, or there's there's other there's various other things like uh, we have a flash message service in one of the apps I work on where it needs to clear flash messages after a, a transition. So there's certain times when you need to get a hold of that transition happening and subscribe to it or whatever. And this RFC that has to, that introduced this has a lot of other side effects about like components now have flags that say, hey, I, I use the routing service and so I need to basically re-render if, if routes change and things like that. So yeah, that's why this wasn't something, even though we did, we did 
hear about this years ago and people have implemented polyfills, it's why it hasn't been implemented till now because it, it touches like everything. Yeah, and I think I think that they were accessing the internal router in kind of weird ways with the previous implementation. And now I think it, the router service is like the router that you actually, you're actually getting the, the actual router. Um, I think this polyfill doesn't necessarily do that, but it, it emulates it such that, you know, in like 215 or whenever, uh, it should just be like, go away and now you're actually using the real router, yeah. um, which is really cool. So like the idea that you're actually interacting with the router, not like, you know, some internal tool to like interface with, you know, you know what I mean? Like having all of that stuff consolidated seems like a really big win. Yeah, because there's a there's like a, a mini lib or whatever they call it, a router library that's kind of external to Ember. It was always weird because you always said like router.router. .router, and that, that second router is private, but there's no underscore in front of it. And it was actually not the same thing. And so now they actually renamed it in a way that's much more recognizable that one, that's private API. And two, it's not, it's like it's like an external library. Like they've actually called it like underscore router mini lib or something like that. My, yeah, microlib. Microlib, yeah. Mini lib? Yeah. Even smaller so, than a mini lib. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's totally micro. So, anyways, yeah, check this stuff out. Um, there's a really good blog post, the 213, 214 blog post, and uh, we'll link to the RFC for the router, the router service. Check it out. So the next thing we're going to talk about is a follow-up to, I want to say last week's post uh, by Chad Hayatala and Sarah Clatterbuck. It's basically about more, more details on the actual like Glimmer VM. And a couple of things I need to mention like right off the bat is that this is technical. I had to read this like two times and I'm still going to have to read it more to like actually understand it. But it's, it's interesting. I think some of the like high level things that we, that Chase and I were able to kind of take away is that basically it's, it's pull based. So it means that there's no observers and there's no subscriptions to keep the values updated, which is really interesting. And then a lot of the other information was around like the wire format and some of the processes to like turn the wire format back into something that can be executed by the VM. It's intensely in-depth. So uh, definitely set aside some time to read it, but it's very, very interesting. You're going to find out a lot of things about Glimmer and about, you know, the potential for like performance in uh, all that sort of thing. So I would definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes into a lot of the uh, implementation details that are, I mean, it's a high level. It's not, it's all kind of pseudocode in TypeScript, but it's interesting. It doesn't really explain why a lot of them are wins, like why they're more performant, but it definitely shows like, like when you see the wire format, you're like, what is this even doing and how does it get, how does this get processed? And it goes into like, you know, how that happens. It doesn't really say why that is more performant, it seems like. But I think that that discussion would be even more technical. Yeah, and I think I think um, kind of seems like this would this would pair really nicely. Like if you're really interested in the Glimmer VM, with uh, I think Gavin Joyce gave the talk at EmberConf about the animated guide to the Glimmer VM. Oh yeah, which was really really excellent. So I think maybe maybe combining them to the two would be really good, just to kind of like try to round out your understanding of Glimmer, uh, especially when people ask you like, "Hey, what's Glimmer? What is this?" And you're like, "Well, it's." this thing that, you know, like you want to be able to kind of talk a little bit more in depth about it. So, and it's definitely interesting. Well, I see where the excitement is coming from. Yeah. I'd like to see, I'd like to see one of Gavin's animations, like the the ones he spent like all that time preparing for the conference. They're really good. I, yeah. I want to see, cause I, I, I'm a visual thinker. And so that really helped me. And I want to see that, but I want to see like a comparison between kind of the HTML bars approach with like observers and like, Hey, here's how much work you would have to do to this very simple thing. Here's like the work going on. And then now let's do it in, in Glimmer and see, you know, now it's all pull-based and everything's, uh, you know, FR, FRP, 
I don't, I don't really know what that means. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, like I want, you know, I want to see that comparison and show like, here's why it's more performant. You know, there's this many less computations happening or, you know, there's not any observers. So there's nothing like periodically kind of firing like a, a tick and saying, Hey, is this thing changed? Has this thing changed? But instead is saying like this thing got rendered and that observes it. And so here, and then, you know, it re-renders. Uh, and then this is, um, it goes into, in this, in this post, everything's like geared off of set. Like when you call set on an object, that's how it knows like, Hey, this object's ticket, I think they call it, it got dirtied. And now this part of the page has to re-render. It'd be interesting to see a side-by-side animation comparison of them. So. Right. Yeah, that would be cool. Although, honestly, like with as much work as Gavin put into that talk, I imagine that's not likely to, to right, happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. It's like I I want to see it, but I don't want to make it. Like I can't yeah, it make seemed, it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it seems... it's a good it's a good learning experience if somebody wants to do it to like teach themselves. <laughs> and, you know? and you, of course. And then, give, and then and you, and you and you reap the benefits. Right. <laughs> of course. Of course. So uh, yeah, so check out this blog post. Like I said, set aside some time to read it because you'll probably want to read it a couple times. Thanks to Chad and Sarah for posting it. It's pretty cool. And the last thing we're going to talk about is everybody's favorite topic, CSS. So there's a bunch of libraries coming out. Um, you know, uh, I think, com- what is it? Component CSS has been out for a while. Recently, somebody told me about post-CSS and how now there's an inverse CLI post-CSS. And then I've also just learned about inverse CSS modules, which... They all seem to like um, all of the Ember libraries specifically uh, seem to to do with trying to like modularize and like isolate components and have them not kind of interfere with the rest of the page and have uh, you know when you render something you want to be somewhat sure that it's going to render a certain way no matter where it's rendered on the page with with flexibility so it's 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 a very complicated problem and it's something that you know CSS has been around for a long time it solves these problems but it does it in a very different way from JavaScript. And the one I want to specifically mention and talk about is Ember CSS modules because I really like the way that it's kind of transparent to you. You kind of get to pretend that CSS just works in a more isolated way with less less of the cascade. And it basically does this by when you attach a class to a component. And, and I'm just kind of giving a high-level overview because I haven't actually dug down in the internals of how this works. If you give it a, If you give a component a class like Foo... It will append that with a random number. And then also in the CSS, it does some post-processing to match up that random number. And then now that component has a specific class in there that will not interfere with other classes. And it isolates the component. It's a, I don't know, John, you've, you've used this before. What's been your experience with it? So on my current client project, they use it. And it seems pretty great. The isolation isn't difficult to really wrap your head around. I think you and I were kind of going around in circles about whether or not you could theoretically hit a class limit because it does append a random string to the to the CSS classes. Which how many how many would that need to be, Chase? I don't it know was if like, we actually looked at it. It was like sixty four k. It used to be something like four k back in the day, like IE eight times. Um, mm. But I, I guess it's been recently updated to like sixty four k. And that's not really of classes. It seemed like it was like rules. You could have that many rules. Mm. Yeah. Well, it seems it seems interesting. I'm not, I'm just, I'm not one hundred percent certain if we'd ever. I, I have not seen anyone bump into that, but it seems like that is definitely a concern. I'm sure somebody has. I mean, you could probably optimize it to where you know you only include the class the classes that actually matter. But but yeah, it's been it's been really great. And I'm not exactly a CSS person, so maybe I'm not the best person to to see with this. But it has a lot of configuration options that I really appreciate. Modifying the the pipeline is pretty simple, and there's a ton of different ways that you can configure the post CSS stuff. 
uh, including like you can just add post CSS. I think they're called plugins. I, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, and you can just add, you can just drop those in, and they just kind of work. Um, so it, it's it's very friendly. It's it's nice, and it does offer, especially if you use it with a pod syntax or a pod uh, directory structure. You end up saying like, oh, I have a component, and a component is named this, and it has its own CSS field, and it's very it's very intuitive. You open up the file, you open up the folder, and you have a list of all the files that are relevant, including styles, which is really nice. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, Shadow DOM, but not like not <laughs> not. Wait, is it Shadow DOM or Virtual DOM? It's shadow down. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, yeah. The, the the thing I really liked about it was what you mentioned. It it supports post CSS plugins. Um, and the reason why I like post CSS is that you write your plugins in JavaScript, not in like CSS or SAS or some. You don't write it in some weird like CSS like language that's also has logic. You write it in a language like that you use every day for programming. Like so, it seems like it's much easier to test these things. The logic's much more sound. So I really like the idea of PostCSS, and that the idea that this works with PostCSS makes it very attractive, and it looks super clean. Yeah, and and like I said, I haven't had any problems with it. Um, there's some some I want to say we we forked off of it on my current project to do something different with the way sprites are handled, but um, it's it's not so difficult to modify and it's actively maintained. So I, I think in general, it's definitely something that I would. Consider if you're looking for you know a better CSS kind of experience and with like more isolation. All right, thanks for listening to this episode. If you have any comments or anything you want to reach out to us, uh, you can find us at, on Twitter at Ember Weekend. Make sure to check out the website; it's EmberWeekend.com, and we have a blog, and that's at EmberWeekend.com/blog. You can also subscribe to the feed; that's in iTunes now, so I don't even have to tell you the feed URL because you can just search for it. <laughs> It's the first time in like 105 episodes that we didn't. Yeah, that I don't actually have the, to say the whole like feed.xml. Yeah, emberweekend.com slash feed.xml. Right, like you're going to type that in somewhere. <laughs> well, I mean, we, people did. It, yeah, we had good. to. That was the only option. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, I, I also want to mention that our, uh, our show is edited by Joel North. And we are, once again, we're sponsored by 201 Created. All right. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>